0: Everyone, and welcome to the House Conspiracy podcast, a show about the house and on the house. I'm Jonathan O'Brien and I'm the founding creative director at House Conspiracy. Today I'm talking to local public historian Hilary Davies. She's got a PhD and a few publications under her belt and she does good work for heritage listings and buildings around Brisbane, writing and working on histories that are fully publicly accessible. The chat today is cool and you'll learn a lot, as I did, about how history works and how we access it. Now, just before we begin, uh, some regular housekeeping, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, and you can visit us at houseconspiracy.org to learn more about our artists and to see how we can support you. Also, join our mailing list. It's worth it, I promise. Now, on to the show. She's a hard worker, a lot of her residency takes place between 42 Mollison Street and relevant public archives, the postal archives, the local council archives, the sewer archives, and many other archives. There are a lot of archives, is what I'm saying. She then brings back what she's learned to the house and seeks out new questions to ask, or she consolidates the information she already has and applies it to the architecture, the paneling, the telltale signs of extensions and renovations. It's remarkable what you learn when talking to someone who knows what they're looking for. In a single conversation, Hillary pointed out to me the different wall textures and patterns, different pressed tins, different ceiling heights. All of these are key, she tells me, to the story of a house. And the story of this house is a long one, spanning across three different centuries. But now, to hear from someone much, much younger than that, here's Hillary Davies. <laughs> Passion.
1: I do. I love. Um, I love doing uh, histories of places and and people and and institutions. It's really quite fun, and uh, um, you can find out some amazing things in um, even our brief history. It's really interesting, um, mm. what you can dig up. And sometimes, what I find um, really interesting people. I'll include those in my creative stuff as well. I think, oh, I've got to write a story about this person, you know. They're just so interesting and just got, I can do better with their life. I'll give them a better life or something, a better ending. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, sort of um,
0: dramatise it.
1: Yeah, and the recent thing I found which really gobsmacked me, I was researching Barry Parade at Fortitude Valley, can you believe, like the history of it, because it was created in about the 1920s and I was looking at um, a taxi, belt, taxi service and so I was searching on Trove for taxi-related dri- taxi things and Barry Parade and sure enough, there's a taxi driver in Barry Parade when it wasn't um, open yet and being um, investigated by a female detective, private detective, I was gobsmacked, 1925 or something. I thought, oh, wow, it's the earliest one. I've, I wouldn't have thought of that. But like an
0: early, the earliest not? instance of a female private detective? Or? Yes,
1: yeah, in about 1925. I was um, just, wow, isn't that amazing? Because you don't think of things like that, but why not? You know, why, weren't, why wouldn't women be doing that? And, you know, it was a, um, a Mrs uh, Catherine Condon.
0: So. Oh, even got a crime name. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> maybe I that's thought why they let her do it. <laughs> a, maybe she's a precursor relative or something. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah,
0: um, and I want to, I want to sort of shift and talk about that because I understand that like a lot of your historical practice does focus on women's issues and whatnot. But I thought maybe we start a little bit more zoomed out. Yep. Um, so you you work as a historian. Um, yeah. What is what is that like? What does that mean?
1: Um, I work as a historian um, writing histories of heritage places, uh, assessing them, writing the history and assessing them for entry in the Queensland Heritage Register. Um, So that involves, um, you know, a place is recommended to us by a member of the public generally, that's how it happens, um, or we have a special project to look at particular places. And, um, so we go about it by um, writing the history and looking at the fabric um, to see what its um, heritage values are and whether they uh, meet the state thresholds. Um, they might not. They might meet local ones, or they might not meet any at all. So um, it's quite interesting to the variety of places, from schools to houses. Um, I've one time the. Peanut silos at King Arroy, mm-hmm. um, graveyard you know, like uh, grave sites, um, where else am I that? Um, hospitals. A whole variety of places. So
0: is this working with places that are already heritage listed, or is this sort of like a historical element to the the heritage application?
1: It's the, it's not generally working with places that are already heritage listed unless we're revising the history. Um so it's places that we haven't looked at before quite often.
0: Yeah, great. And um so doing that now, sort of you mentioned you know a brief history of Australia. At this time in sort of 20 2017 2018 when this comes out um, what's what's it sort of mean to to be a historian like how much how much is there still to uncover what are you what are you what are the tips and tricks of the trade what's different now than maybe it would have been 20 25 years ago
1: oh, okay um, well there's a lot of um, things that come to light Um as time goes by. And that's always been the case. You know, history is as it's written with the resources that you have at the time. And in the last 10 years, um, our ability to find out um, details has changed radically um, with the addition of Trove newspaper searches so that we're able to, instead of spending. Weeks and weeks in archives reading newspapers, even if even on uh, microfilm, it takes forever. You can do searches online, and that's been helping historians and um, you know genealogists um, doing their family history or, or their local history um, for the last ten years or so, and has made a huge difference in the type and detail of the uh, and accuracy of the histories we're able to write all of us. So that's a wonderful thing. So as more documents become um, digitised, um, there's greater access to information we didn't have before. Um, it's no longer the province of someone who's got a lot of time to spend in an archive. Um, and so it becomes more widespread um, and disseminated. And that's altering the histories that we have of places already and people. Um
0: And sort of uh, getting, yeah, a more nuanced picture, maybe.
1: Exactly. Um, Yes.
0: One thing I I, I wanted to ask, because you're here, um, ostensibly, your residency project is to look into the history of this house, 42 Mollison Street, which is now, at this moment, uh, House Conspiracy. I want to ask, sort of, you, 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 you listed off to me a whole bunch of resources and sites and Um, offices and places where you're sort of going to research and find sort of all the pieces of the puzzle that you're putting together Mm -hmm. are are a lot of these sort of tricks of the trade that I'd never heard of or didn't even think would exist are these a lot of these just public uh, or is it sort of to do with your accreditation that you're able to access them is it a mixture
1: Um, Most of these resources are publicly available. I'm trying to think what isn't, to be honest. Um, So the resources that you would use to do a house history include the titles, which are available through the Department of Natural Resources and Mines. And uh, um, then there are um, resources at the Brisbane City Council uh, archives or online now. A lot of these resources are online online. So I was talking to you about um, the detailed plan maps that were done when Brisbane was being sewered and that show um, the houses in their streetscape, but that you can also, um, by going to that archive, get the actual surveyor's notebook, which shows a plan form of the house at the time that the surveyor came and looked at it and and the street for the sewerage, and they're in quite good detail. Um, There are also the resources that are publicly available at the State Archives. Um, uh, They relate to, well, there are minute books, for instance, of local governments there that could uh, assist some some forms of research. Um, They don't necessarily have the detail that you would need about a house um, development. And uh, then there's Trove newspapers that we were talking about that's widely available online. And people that are um, have a genealogical bent, they can access resources through something like the Family History Society um, and the Genealogical Society of Queensland. And
0: um, now I, I, I don't know if you have an answer to this, but, yeah, yeah, like I've used sort of trove newspapers, you know, back when I used to do uh, modern history in high school and whatnot, and I, I think probably a lot of students have started using that over the past few years but um, I, I wonder if this applies sort of, everyone's always talking these days sort of about everything being crowdsourced and crowdfunded. Is there, because all these resources are public and they've always been public, they've just been less accessible, you know, you have to go to a location. Is there the potential, are we seeing histories being sort of unearthed by, by the everyman, by, by crowds? Or is it still sort of very much sort of a domain of, of experts?
1: Okay. Um, well, it can be. History un- um, revealed and written by um, people without even um, uh, history qualifications because of their interests. That's that's definitely done. Um, I would say, though, that um, someone with history training is going to put a place and a family or um, an institution into a wider context. They're going to have the ability to do that. To put the um, house in its street, in its suburb, in in the climate of development that there was for the city, or in even for the state, um, that has a, um, effect on its history. Um, so that I would say is generally the difference. Uh, it doesn't mean that the um, person without um, formal training can't do it. It that doesn't mean that that at all. Um, but um,
0: it's it's it sounds like it's the. The, the interest in, in a place for a person probably stops at a certain level of context, whereas for a historian, it's about, it's about like you said, that placement. Yes. And then that larger, wider sort of um, inferences and um, causalities that you can find with a broader knowledge set. Um, yeah, and um, actually sort of speaking about sort of placing that and about historical um, accreditations You have a PhD um, and you produced as part of that PhD a book called Surveying Success,
1: yes, um,
0: which I believe was very critically acclaimed. Um, I would like you to tell me about that book.
1: Okay. Um, Well, Surveying Success is a um, study of social mobility, middle-class social mobility in colonial Queensland using the Hume family as a case study. The Hume family came, uh, started to arrive in, Bris- in uh, Brisbane, Queensland in general, in 1863 um, when Walter Hume came uh, to Queensland as a trainee surveyor and trained with Frank Gregory, um, whose brother was Augustus Gregory, the surveyor general. Um, so Walter uh, worked here and rose through the surveyors, uh, through the lands department as a surveyor until he was the undersecretary of the lands department, which is the highest bureaucratic position that you can um, obtain. And then he be- and became a land court judge after that for the last few years of his uh, time here. Um, so he married quite wisely. He married um, Katie Fowler and... Um, she came to Queensland in 1866 to marry Walter. Um, In the meantime, his mother and four of his five siblings um, had come to Queensland as well um, to join him. So virtually the family was here. And uh, so it's a story of how they rose from him as a trainee surveyor through through his success and also... um, his wife's as well in the social milieu that that was available to women which was um involved in philanthropy and consorting with the governor and his wife and and so on um and so they were um probably as high in the social echelon as you could um he could rise to friends with the um pastoralists the Darling Downs and as I said related to um, the highest echelon of uh, through marriage of the um, of um, the Gregory family
0: and um, yeah and you know you, you talk about sort of Humes rise but a lot of what you look at in your practice is sort of women's issues and history of place so the novel I believe takes place, or not the novel but the the historical is it, is it a historical fiction? Is it a historical non
1: fiction? No, it, uh, it's non fiction. Yeah. It's the history of the family and the wider family. Because, uh, well, so look at the siblings and how mm. they did or didn't succeed, and the children, um, how life here um, affected them as well. And uh, the um, social outcomes for Hume's children, as opposed to maybe his sisters, um, were different. Um, because of circumstances and you know who they married and things like that, so there were those things that I looked at. So I looked at uh, a very broad um, issues. Uh, so we set them in the uh, set them in the c- political, social, and economic context of Queensland, um, and so that did include um, you know education of women and um, briefly things about. Uh, um, such a you know who they're associated with uh such as um dr lillian cooper the first female doctor was a friend of theirs um and
0: uh so were they a relatively progressive family or
1: i think so they valued education that's for sure their daughter was um and one son uh were both educated in england they sent Back to England to be educated, and the daughter w- was finished in Germany, so she was fluent in German and she played um, the piano at a very, very proficient level, um, just like her mother, who was also a pianist, um, well educated but never employed. Um, yeah, she right. later went on to marry an, a Sam tea planter and live in India. So, and they they travelled the world um, in their retirement, um, and retired on a, a good pension and were able to continue to travel and retire back to England. Um, their sons ended up in Argentina, building the Argentinian railway with their uncle um, in Scott and Hume, the um, railway um, engineers.
0: Yeah. And so in sort of reconciling the two things, you know, your, your work particularly with place and your interest in in women's issues like i know there there are papers like what would a non-sexist city look like from the 1980s which 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 was just like sort of this this big thing that sort of combined sort of the beginnings of third wave feminism with sort of architectural theory and looking at place and i don't really want to talk about that paper um, but i'm just sort of referencing it do, do you find at all a relation between sort of your your interests in both place and women's issues. Do you find that they're sort of separate? Like, are there places where they converge? Um,
1: there's there's definitely um, women's areas in houses and um, and in um, in place. Um, in elite houses, there's men's areas and there's women's. Uh, that's for sure. You know, the men's, um, you know, smoking room and <laughs> and uh, billiards room. That's a an example, and um, the places of women's work. You know, the laundry under the house and. Um, um, but women, that houses are also divided into, um, especially earlier houses into class as well. You know, the front of house being more elite than the the working areas um, and you can definitely see that um, in places like um, the Mansions and um, Harris Terrace in George Street, for instance. They used to have servants' areas at the rear that were demolished in the 1980s. So that clearly delineated the front of house and the workspace of predominantly women. Mm-hmm. at the rear, um, doing the um, cooking and cleaning and, and um, uh, washing and so on. So in that way, you can definitely see women in, um, in heritage places. Um,
0: is it so much a, a focus for you or is it sort of an, an incidental uh, element of it?
1: Not really a focus, no. Um, it's just um, a part of the whole you know, I'm interested in the whole of the place and how it functions and its history.
0: Mm, which is maybe exactly, you know, again, looping back to the idea of the historical professional is that you're not coming into it with maybe uh, an agenda or something that you really want to prove or find out or critical theory the heck out of. Um,
1: no. <laughs> yeah. No. I'm, I'm interested in producing a history that's of, um, um, that's valid, that's accurate and of interest to the public. I'm writing public history um, generally, um, and even the articles that I've written, they're for public consumption, even if they've been peer-reviewed. So my hope is that history can be disseminated. It doesn't belong, you know... To an elite. To an elite, to an academic um, background. That's not what I'm about. I'm about disseminating history so as many people as possible can be informed and enjoy it and get something out of it and realise um, that we have a great history. Even, if, even though it's short, it's certainly worth researching, it's worth knowing about and it's worth preserving, absolutely. The homes and the, the houses and the buildings, they're worth preserving and although we need to repurpose them um, for their new lives... Um, we don't. We shouldn't be destroying what get, what tells their story. The story is really important, and quite often is in the fabric as well as um, as well as the story. We need both things. And
0: so, in terms of um, yeah, making the history really accessible, I think I asked you a similar question before the podcast. But um, with surveying success, it it came out of your PhD, and then you published it for the public. Um, Were there any major differences that you made aside from sort of cutting the literature review?
1: No, there weren't. There was very little difference um, between what I had written for the the thesis and um, what was published by Boulamong Press and Brisbane History Group. Um, So there was a slight um, um, changing the references so that there were fewer interruptions and that's really just bringing them to the end of a paragraph rather than interspersed that you would do in an academic um, academic publication. And uh, just removing the literature review was about it. That's all it needed because it, it, the intention was always that it would be a history that anyone would want to read and could read and enjoy, um, that it was about communicating Something. Phenomenal. Um,
0: yeah. and you had sort of, I assume supervisors were really on board with that and yes. accessibility.
1: Sure. I had a great supervisor. I had Rod Fisher, he's now departed, um, who was, uh, absolutely fantastic. And he was also my master's supervisor. So I think I was really lucky to have him. He was a great, um, great at pointing you in the right direction. He also wrote, um, history that was accessible as well. And, um, you know, kept his students on track and was a great editor as well, you know, to make sure that you um, got to the standard that was required.
0: Wonderful. Um, And so maybe, yeah, pivoting off sort of that practice there, um, you've been looking into 42 Mollison Street, House Conspiracy, for a while now and we're we're actually less than a week in. Um, So, but in that short time, what have you found so far about Um, this space?
1: Okay, um, it's an interesting house. It has um, uh, lots of early fabric. It seems it has beautiful pressed metal ceilings. I'm telling you, and um, it also uh, it, it also reflects the area in that. Um, It is on a block that was uh, subdivided from a um, suburban allotment from 1865. I think the land land was sold in 1876 and a house put on it soon afterwards. Um, That house um, appears to have been a low set house um, with just a few steps up from the front and um, on the ground at the rear. And it existed in that form, it seems, for um, a few decades. Um, It was purchased in um, 1920 by the Richards family um, and changes happened. It was, um, I don't have anything um, definitive but it does look like the house was actually um, raised, moved back and added to it the rear um, rather than replaced but um, I don't have any firm evidence for that Um, but there's a lot of um, things in the fabric that seem to indicate that. Um, So it seemed to be the home to quite a large family. The Richards seemed to have lots of children, Um, not all of them um, perhaps at home by the time that they purchased it. Um, And it was called Mascot, um, and we have the sign here, which is wonderful, uh, from the house, um, uh, at least known as that from the 1920s, from the 1920s. So it stayed in the Richards uh, family um, for the ensuing time, and until last year, Um, Mr. Richards passed it on to his wife, who in turn passed who passed away in nineteen sixty, and passed it was um, in um, transferred to her youngest son, Mm -hmm. and stayed um, in his possession and his wife's until recently. so I've, to find that sort of information, I've used the titles, I've used the um, Brisbane City Council archive information because it was, the sewerage plans are so useful for showing um, houses in streets and also um, the surveyor's notebooks for showing the um, house form, um, in this case in the ni- uh, from 1918 to 1929, the two different times, so we can see the changes.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean that's already a lot of information and I know we were speaking earlier and yeah, all of that from public records too, right? Yeah. Yep. Um and so moving on from what you have found and whether whether proven definitively or not, what what uh, what's unanswered? What are the sort of most interesting questions that you, you have about this place?
1: Well, the 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 uh, what were the changes made in the 1920s, and then there's been changes um, later when the bathroom and toilet were added to the rear veranda area. So sometime after the place was uh, connected to the sewerage in 1929, there was that um, veranda enclosure at the rear, and um, the bathroom and toilet created, um, and. Probably a bit of re and rejigging of the uh, exterior door and access to the back garden. Um, um, let me think. There are lots of things like that that um, possibly the um, Richards family can uh, reveal um, if I'm lucky enough to talk to them later, so I'm hopeful of uh, they'll be able to give me a few of that later changes that have um, happened um, to the house under their care. I guess the other um, major um, thing I need to find out, and I probably will be able to Get closer to an accurate date is the when the house was actually um, the first house was built, and that will probably be revealed by the um, post office directories. We could see who's living here and when they're living from. So we'd have it. Someone's here by such and such a date, um, depending on uh, what the post office directories can tell me.
0: Wonderful. So yeah, it's it, what what shocks me most is. Um Yeah. How, how, how much you can find so, so quickly. I mean, I, I imagine you've spent a fair amount of time on it, but in terms of sort of, you know, not having to wait in a a digital queue or for someone to mail you a file or anything like it really is.
1: It's quite quick. You can find out a lot of information very quickly if you know where to go. Um, and, uh, We'd be able to find out from the post office directories who was living here. Um, we do know that when the house was bu- the first house was built by um, Dennis Gorman, um, he lived in Boundary Street and this house would um, I think was a rental property for him. so there'd be a, a number of um, residents over that period of time, something like 30 years that he owned the place. Um, before it went into the Richards' um, hands.
0: Yeah, and then they they held on to it until it became this. Yep. Wonderful. Well, it's been really good to sit and talk and hear a little bit about your practice and about the house. Um, What are you working on at the moment, sort of aside from this project here? Are you working on anything else?
1: Um, Related to um, work, I've been working on a school history Mm -hmm. um, and... Privately, I've been um, working on um, a historical fiction uh, pastoral property story, like a a saga across the ownership and family um, in a pastoral um, context.
0: Wonderful. Well... Um, is there anywhere people can find you online or mostly through Public Histories?
1: Um, sure. Um, I'm on Facebook um, as Hilary Davies and I have a Facebook page which is um, History in Focus and I also have a website which is www.history-in-focus.com. Wonderful.
0: Well, thank you very much and um, look forward to finding out the rest of what you find out.
1: Thank you for talking with me.
0: The House Conspiracy podcast is produced at House Conspiracy by me, Jonathan O'Brien, and Tyler William Morrison. Mixing and editing by Tyler William Morrison. And music by the Reverend Isha Ramdas. If you'd like to support House Conspiracy, you can do so at houseconspiracy.org donate. And you can learn more about what we offer here at houseconspiracy.org. Thanks for listening.